0: If you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation this morning. I, I love John chapter 6 out of the Passion Translation, but we, we pick up the story after Jesus has fed the multitudes. If you remember the story that Jesus had spent the day teaching and ministering to the people, And they were hungry. How many of you remember? They got hungry. They were ready for Jesus to break for dinner. And he just kept on going, kept on teaching. And finally somebody said, "Uh, Jesus, they're hungry. The people have been here all day and they're ready to eat. Sounds like church. (laughs) Pastor, will you stop preaching? We're ready to go eat. I've got sad news for you. None of the restaurants are worth going to right now anyway. So so you're going to be here all day with me. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) <laughs> Pastor Jesus, would you would you just stop? They're ready to eat And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, What you feed them. If they're hungry, you feed them. And they said, What? We've only got just a few fish, a few loaves. This lad's lunch can barely feed him. We certainly cannot feed five thousand people plus women and children. This isn't gonna work. And so Jesus took the bread and the fish and he blessed it how many of you remember the story that they not only did they feed everyone until they were full they had 12 basketfuls left over that's a miracle friend that talk about a miracle to stand back and to watch the supernatural provision of the Lord in that moment where there was just a few fish and a few this this wasn't this wasn't an easy miracle. Jesus didn't look at the disciples and he didn't look at John and say, "Hey, bud, go out back to the, the the reefer truck, go back to the refrigerator and grab the food. And when everybody closes their eyes to pray, stick out all the baskets of food and we'll we'll surprise everybody." No, they, they didn't. They didn't have it. They didn't have the supply. There was there was lack. I don't know. Maybe you've been in that position yourself where you looked at the Lord and said, "Lord, I just have a little bit. It's insignificant." It can't can't do much it, it won't accomplish much but before your eyes Jesus takes the little that you have the insignificant that you have and he multiplies it and does something supernatural with it that happened not just it wasn't some parlor trick or magic trick it was it was the supernatural working of God in that moment it was powerful I've seen the Lord do some pretty incredible miracles. I mean, I'm sure you can think back over your life and and think about some of the miracles you've watched Jesus do in your life. Maybe things that you've said, God, I don't know if that's possible, I don't know if that's able able to happen. I, I've watched. I've seen food multiply. I've, I've seen the supernatural provision come in. I've, there have been weeks, you know, today we asked for $10,000 in three weeks. I remember there was a time where I'd asked the Lord for $10,000 on a Sunday. <laughs> and, I, and I wasn't sure. It was here at this church. I said, God, we need $10,000 Today. I and I didn't tell anybody about it, but I knew our finances. I knew the situation at that time. And I said, Lord, we need ten thousand dollars today. And I had no idea if there was anybody even in the building who could actually write that size of a check. I didn't know that there was any, I didn't even know if there was anybody who had that kind of resource, but God did. And after the service, I remember the, the counting team calling me back and saying, Hey, we just thought you might want to know. They had no idea that I was believing God for that. But they just said, we just thought you might want to know that somebody in the church wrote a $10,000 check today. I said, I, I'm glad you told me that. Actually, I was believing God for that $10,000, so thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> now, I, I've watched the, the supernatural healing, the tangible power of the Lord heal people. I've seen people who couldn't walk, walk. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen people who have, who have had the effects of strokes get supernaturally healed and their bodies begin to function. I've watched the power of God liberate the captives. I've seen the demon-possessed get set free. I've watched those who are bound by addiction and chains and weights get liberated. Our God is a miracle-working God. Our God is a delivering, working, miracle-working God. He's able to supply. He's able to provide. But I want to ask you a question. I I believe in His miracle-working power. And I believe that He's able to touch you today and work a miracle in your life. But I want to ask a question. What happens when the miracle stops? What happens when the miracle's over? What happens when the feeding of the 5,000 comes to an end and the 12 basketfuls are collected and Jesus disappears? What happens when, What happens in your life when, 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 when you see the healing and you see the power of God working in your life and, and all of a sudden that moment is over? What happens next? What happens when, when you step into his presence on the Mount of Transfiguration and you see the glory of God come down in such a tangible way? And Jesus says, You can't set up shop. You got to go back down the mountain. What happens next? We all love the miracles. We all love his power and his presence. And I believe that he's able to do those and will continue to do those. But what happens when the miracle stops? If we find the story here in John chapter 6, the miracle had ended. And in verse 15 of John chapter 6, and I'm reading, as I said earlier, from the Passion Translation. It says, so Jesus, knowing that they were about to take him and make him their king by force. They were so enthralled by the miracle. They were so enthralled by the provision that came, that supernatural Sign and wonder, isn't it true still today that we just want the government to feed us? We just, you know, we put out all these tangible needs and, oh, just fill my belly, give me a check, give me a stimulus check, just do something for me, Jesus. Just do something. It's still true today that people are looking for kings and rulers who filled their bellies. And quickly he left and went up the mountainside alone. What happens when the miracle is over and Jesus is no longer there? You were there in that moment. He was on the mountainside with you. He was teaching you. You were having the mountaintop experience. And you saw the signs and the wonders and the provision. And people were rejoicing and singing and having a great time. Maybe even here in church this morning. You feel his presence. You feel the nearness of the Lord. Watching at home, you sense the nearness of God in your life. But what happens in the moment where Jesus withdraws himself and goes up by himself? And you don't feel him like you felt him before? What happens when you don't see him like you saw him before? What happens in the moment where Jesus changes landscape and all of a sudden the landscape of your life looks different? In one moment you're rejoicing, and the next moment there's a diagnosis of some incurable disease. In one moment you're rejoicing, and in the next moment the bank account says red. In one moment you're rejoicing, and the next someone has come against you, and they're, they're speaking evil about you. What happens in those moments when the miracle stops, and Jesus seems to be distant? You know, it's easy for us to become disillusioned and say, well, I don't, know, I don't know what Jesus is doing in this moment. Where are you, Jesus? We get frustrated. And what happens? Verse 16 and 17. And after waiting until evening for Jesus to return, the disciples went down to the lake. But as darkness fell, he still hadn't returned. So the disciples got into a boat and headed across the lake, to Capernaum. That word for Capernaum, it actually means village of comfort. They couldn't find the comforter. They, weren't, they got tired of waiting on the comforter. And so they had to get in their boats and go to a village of comfort. They got tired of waiting on the one who would meet their every need. Who was peace and, and joy and, and was their righteous. They, they had to go get in a boat and sail across the water to find the village of comfort. It's so easy for us when the miracle stops... To get in the boat and join the disciples on a journey that Jesus never sent them on. When Jesus doesn't show up in the way that we think he should. And the miracle changes. The provision changes. The the landscape changes. We get in the boat and go on a journey that Jesus never called us to. He was always there. He was still with them. They just couldn't see him like they saw him before. When when the COVID pandemic happened, what happened to a lot of believers is this Jesus changed positions, and they think that all of a sudden he's not there, but he's there in the midst of COVID. I said he's still here in the midst of COVID. He's still ruling and reigning over all things. He's still with you in the middle of your storm. He's still with you in the midst of life. You just got to find him. Sometimes he wants to know, uh, yeah, I, I know you're going to be with me in the miracle. I know you're going to rejoice when the miracles are happening. But are you willing to be with me and rejoice when things get difficult? Are you willing, Jesus is saying, to be with me when, when the way gets rough and tough, when when the crowds are getting angry and, and they're starting to want more? Are you willing to stay with me? When the In Psalms 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide shall abide under the shadow even though he may may go to a different place and life looks different and the season looks different I'm abiding under the shadow I'm abiding in the secret place when Jesus goes up the mountainside to get alone it's okay I'm going right there with him I'm, I'm sticking close by his side because I know it's there under the shadow of his wing I'll abide he is my refuge he is my comfort I don't need to get in a Boat and go over to the village of comfort because my comforter has come. My comforter is still with me. We want everything to always be easy. We want our our parents to make our bed when we wake up in the morning. We don't want bills to pay. We want breakfast on the table when we come downstairs from sleeping in the morning. We we want life to just be easy and peaceable and everything to be smooth. Come on, good preaching, pastor. Uh, We want life to just be easy. And sometimes Jesus is looking at you and I saying, are you willing to walk the road even when it gets tough, even in the middle of uncertainty because because I know that my power can still sustain you who I am is still enough I'm going to get there but I just want to keep going down this path I'm going to talk about Jesus being enough but, but are you willing to stay in the secret place even when the world wants you out of it There are people all around us right now who want you. Man, there's so much stuff going on right now. It's sickening. It's disgusting. It's carnal. It's the absolute depravity of man. You turn on the news. you, you, You turn on Facebook, social media. The absolute depravity of mankind. And you can get out of your secret place. You can tune in to the news and walk right on out of your secret place. Or you can abide under his shadow. In Matthew 6, it says this. One thing, one thing am I after. One thing am I after. One thing I am seeking first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those other things are going to be handled. All those other things, what I wear, what I eat, where I go, all of that stuff gets handled when I seek him first. Some of you this morning might have decisions that you're having to make. You have things in life that's going on around you. You have needs that have to be met. Situations that have to be taken care of. And you might be wondering in your mind. How can I fix this? How can I handle this? What do I need to do? What's my next step? Let me answer it for you. Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be taken care of. They'll be added to you. Seek first. What happens when the miracles stop? I'm seeking after Him. After the the rush of emotion and the spiritual high, I'm still seeking after Him. Jesus didn't come to be useful. He came to be precious. He didn't come to be the magic genie in your lamp. He came to be savored by you. He came to be delighted in. I delight in Him not because He is the, He created me. I delight in Him because He's the Creator. I delight in His goodness not because He gave the law, but He is the law. I delight in Him because He is the Savior. He is altogether lovely. He is the fairest of 10,000. He is the lily among the valley. He is. He is. And He is precious. He is the great shepherd. Yeah, He is the intercessor. He is my intercessor. Whether, whether life goes my way or it doesn't, He's still ruling and reigning over my life. He is still precious. He is still God. He is the King of glory. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory might come in. He is this King of glory. <laughs> David said, who is? He is the King of glory. The Lord Righteous. He is my righteousness. He is my joy. He is my peace. Is He precious to you? Is the Lord precious to you? Is He altogether wonderful? Or does He have to do something to get your attention? Does He have to work a miracle? When the miracle stops, is He still precious? When, when things and the height and the emotion, when it all comes to an end, is he still altogether lovely? Not based on what he does, but who he is. Oh, I thank God for his salvation in my life. But whether he saved me or he didn't, it doesn't change that he's still the Savior. I'm born again and I'm thankful for it. But whether I wasn't, or I is, or I is, or I isn't, He is still the Savior. He is still all together. It has nothing to do with me. You are not the key figure of this story. He is. You are not the star of the cast. He is. You're just a supporting actor somewhere lost in the middle. Oh, He loves you and He cares about you. But that's not the crux of what determines His worth or His value. We said it earlier, for before the foundations of the world, before the thought of creation ever was, the angels and the elders were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're singing it today. They're proclaiming it right now. Heaven is echoing the sound of this worship that has been unending and will continue to be eternally unending. He never changes. He never stops. He's the same yesterday, today and forever my God is the same yesterday today and forever he's worthy somebody give the Lord praise today he's worthy of your praise he's worthy of your praise our God our God is he is precious he was precious for the hebrew children shadrach meshach and abednego <laughs> he was wonderful he was altogether lovely and and before they went into the fire he, they he, he was altogether lovely <laughs> It was the reason why they said, even if our God doesn't save us, we will not bow to this false image because he's worthy. Whether whether it's comfortable or not, he's still worthy. He's still precious. We still worship him. We will not worship at the idol. We will not worship at the false God. He is altogether wonderful. He's lovely. It was wonderful when they went into the furnace. (laughs) Most of us would check out at that point. When the fire gets heated seven times hotter, we start backing up and say, well, maybe we should recant. Maybe we should back up. But Martin Luther reminds us to say, here I stand. I will not recant. He is altogether wonderful. He is altogether lovely. He is the fairest of 10,000, and I will not bow. He's worthy. He was wonderful in the midst of the fire. Whether he rescued them or he didn't, he was still wonderful. He's precious. If we continue on in the story, by now a strong wind in verse 18. They were in the boat. They were on a journey that Jesus never started, but they were there nonetheless. And a strong wind began to blow and was stirring up the waters. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of a boat and and the waters get stirred. I don't like water. I don't mind sitting on the beach. I don't mind sitting on the edge of water. But... I feel the disciples fear here I I it's it's personal to me right now that they're out in the middle of a boat in the and the waters are being stirred I I can feel their seasickness I can feel their worries they were skilled fishermen some of them they could probably swim not I I could feel the worry can you see it rising They were out, the Bible says here in verse 19, the disciples had rowed about halfway across the lake when all of a sudden, let's pause. They, they were halfway across the lake. They were probably about three or four miles into this thing. There, we, we had this big old lake in, in New Orleans called Lake Pontchartrain. I don't know if you've heard about this lake. I'm sure you probably have. But there's this big old bridge. It's one of the world's largest bridges that goes across that lake. It's a 20-something mile bridge. You get out in the middle of that bridge and there is no land to see. It looks like you are driving out in the middle of an ocean. And it looks like an ocean. It looks like you're driving. There's waves. It's the whole thing. It looks like you're out driving on cement across an ocean with no hope of ever finding the shoreline again. I have driven across that thing when I was wide awake, and I have driven across that thing when I was half fallen asleep. I've been across that bridge so, no, so many times, and people have gone off that bridge time and time again. It's, it's ridiculous. This, it is. So I kind of get the picture here of being out in the middle of this Lake Pontchartrain ocean with no sight of land. Being three or four miles in and still having another three or four miles to go, it looks pretty dreary. And the storm is just a-turnin'. I've never been on the bridge in Lake Pontchartrain when a waterspout came across. Although that has happened, and there's a lot of pictures and videos of it, I would not want to be out in the middle of that lake when a waterspout decides to come across that bridge. It's not where I want to be. Jesus is... Nowhere to be found, they're out in the middle of a lake, and the storm is turning. Have you ever been in that situation before? Have you ever been in the place where you thought you were out in the middle of hopelessness and despair, the winds are beating on your boat, and surely you were going to sink? There's not much said about this miracle. There there are instances in the Bible where the disciples are out on the lake and they encounter storms, and other circumstances, but this this passage does not really elaborate much. It's quite interesting. There's a lot said about the feeding of the 5,000. There's a little bit said about what happened after the feeding of the 5,000. And then right here in the middle of this story, we find Jesus, the disciples, on the lake in the middle of a storm. Can I tell you something? That, the, that, that Jesus told his disciples, don't, don't worry about this, this life and these situations. I have overcome the world. My peace I give to you. I've overcome this. So no, no matter what storm you're facing, no matter what your situation is, John 16, still is true that God has overcome this distressing situation in your life. His peace can be your peace in the middle of the storm. They, not much is said about what Jesus did or what happened. They saw Jesus. And it says that they caught sight of Jesus walking on the top of the waves coming toward them. And the disciples panicked. <laughs> Who's that on the water? And Jesus called out to them, don't be afraid. You know who I am. And they were relieved to take him in and the moment Jesus stepped into the boat they were instantly transported to the other side I want you to get this picture they are three or four miles away from the shoreline. The the storm is raging around them. The waves are beating against their boat. They see Jesus walking on the water to them. and As Jesus gets into their boat, did Jesus need to get in their boat? No. Did did Jesus need to come walking on the water to them? No. Did they give Jesus any heads up before they got into their boats? Hey, we're going over to Capernaum. You can go up on your mountaintop and pray and be alone with the Father as long as you want. We're going in a boat no Jesus knew exactly right where they were even in the middle of their storm came out to them on the water and got into their boat the emphasis here is less about the storm less about the mechanics of the miracle and more about that Jesus got into their boat even when we try to go about our own way and do our own thing Jesus still gets in our boat Somebody needed to shout right there, you missed a good opportunity to just, come on somebody. Even when you make a mistake and mess things up, you can absolutely blow it. Thank God for his mercy and his foresight to see through the storms of life right where we are. He's the anchor of my soul. He's still the peace in the middle of my storm. Thank God that he still gets into our messed up boats today. He gets in their boat, and they're instantly transported. Now, that, that, that will preach. <laughs> instantly transported. That, we're not, they didn't row. They, the storm didn't blow them. He stepped foot into their boat, and they were, and they were. <laughs> kind of like John on the Isle of Patmos. He was, but he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and in a moment he was transported. Kind of like Philip in the, in the... Ethiopian eunuch, who he was one place. In the next moment, he was translated to the next. We don't hear those kind of stories much these days, but our God is still a miracle-working God. He got into their boat, and instantly they were transported. In verse 22, Then the next morning the crowds were still on the opposite shore of the lake, near the place where they had eaten the bread, and he had multiplied after he had given thanks to God. Yet Jesus was nowhere to be found. They realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus hadn't boarded, and they concluded that his disciples had left him behind. <laughs> that's, that's great news. You know, that's, that, that's great news. Where's, where's the church? Oh, they left Jesus behind. Think about that. Where's, 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 the, where's Jesus? I guess the church left Jesus. They, they just kept on moving. They went on a journey that Jesus didn't ordain. (laughs) Uh, That would preach. We'll just keep moving. just, Just pointing that out. So when the people saw on the shoreline a number of small boats from Tiberias and realized Jesus and the disciples weren't there, they got into the boats and went into Capernaum to search for him. When they finally found him, they asked him, Teacher, how did you get here? And Jesus replied in verse 26, Let me make this very clear. I love this. Just in case you were wondering, let me be clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the Son of man, Man, am ready to give you what matters most. For God the Father has destined me for this purpose." And they replied, so what should we do if we want to do God's work? And Jesus answered, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. And they replied, show us a miracle so we can see it, and then we'll believe you. Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert. Just like the scripture says, he fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform? What do you do when the miracle stops? Are you just after another miracle? Lord, just show me another sign. Just give me another sign. Just I, I want another miracle. I want another provision. I want another blessing. Is he gracious enough to do it? Sure, he does it time and time again. But is he precious to you regardless of what he does or doesn't do? The truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. It's my father's who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. Oh, then, sir, please give us this bread every day. It sounds like church people to me. It sounds like people who see but can't see, who hear but can't hear. It's the the people who are always sitting in the pews. It's the people who are always tuning in online. It's the people who are always hearing the gospel but never hearing it. Jesus said it's not about the food that you can eat in this life. It's not about the bread. I am the bread. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Feast on me. Eat of my flesh. Drink of my blood. Get your eyes off of this. Get your eyes off the mess. I am the sustenance that will sustain you. <laughs> yeah. I thank God for signs and wonders. But if he never does another one, he is my wonder. He is my sign. He is the He is the one who does the work. (laughs) Jesus said, I am. Give us, give us this bread. <laughs> I can hear the tension rising in Jesus' thoughts. Maybe it's just me. But I'm thinking, man, if that were me, I would be so livid at this point. You're, you're hearing me preaching. You're hearing, I'm telling you exactly what you need. And you're not listening. <laughs> and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And I love this. Come every day to me. Come every day to me. Come every day to me. You know, have you have, you, you have one of those restaurants that you really like, and you'd be okay going there every day. We got a couple of those that we, we would just, if it, if, we're, if it were not for our girlish figures and, you know, looking... You know, whatever. We we might. <laughs> that was a joke. You can laugh. <laughs> Maybe you are, and I just can't see it because you got a mask on. But, <laughs> but I would I would eat there every day if I had the opportunity. Jesus said, "Keep coming to me." The literal translation there is "keep coming, keep." coming to me. It reminds me of Paul in in Ephesians. He says, keep drinking. Keep drinking. Don't get drunk on wine, but be being filled. Keep drinking of the waters of eternal life. Don't stop. This isn't a one-time taste and that's all you need. Keep feasting on God. Keep eating of His flesh, of His word, of His goodness. And he says, you will never be hungry. Believe in me and you will never be thirsty oh it's easy to to shift your focus and to start eating things of this world it's easy to start eating on the dainties of this world reminds me of what's his name in, in uh uh the the what's that narnia edmund wants to eat sweeties from the ice queen <laughs> there's all there's a there's a plan there's a, there's a plan under that the enemy had a plan for him to get sidetracked eating sweeties. And all we want to do is eat sweeties when the author of eternal life has prepared a banquet in front of us. In front of my enemies, he's prepared a table for me to feast. And we just want to eat our sweeties, just stuff our, stuff our face with sugar and all the garbage of this world. I'm not talking about your Oreos. I'm talking about the temptations and the issues of this life. Just feed me some more Give me some more of that junk Give me some more of this temptation Give me some more of this sin Give me some more of this This stuff that doesn't last Just keep giving me stuff Feed my face And when we start walking around With a limp We can barely move because we've ate so much garbage and don't understand why our life is a mess. Why why am I addicted? Why am I depressed? Why am I discouraged? I'm talking about Christians. Why am I? Why am I? Because you've been eating the wrong mess. (laughs) You've been feasting at the wrong table. (laughs) I am the bread of life. It's so easy. It's so easy. What do you do when the miracle stops and the supply looks a little bit different? Jesus willingly gave them bread, gave them fish, multiplied it. Because it became a moment for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. A reality, a truth that was deeper than any fish or bread could tell. It was the reality, it was the truth. That I am, Jesus said, the bread from heaven. I am the bread. The Israelites had their, their show bread in the temple. It was a direct reference, even back to the Old Testament. Jesus didn't do away with the Old Testament, he fulfilled it. Even back to the Old Testament. The bread, the show bread, the bread of his face is what it was called. The bread of his presence. It was there in the tabernacle. It was there where the menorah shone, the light. In other words, it was a prophetic sign and symbol that Jesus was the light of the world and the bread that came down from heaven. He was the bread. There was 12 pieces of that bread. It was symbolic for each of the tribes. It was Jesus saying, I am the supply for, for my people. I am enough. I am the light. I am the bread. I am the water. I am. I am enough for you. Is he enough for you today? In the middle of turmoil, in the middle of life and its confusion, the story is constantly changing. The information about COVID is constantly changing. Life is continually changing. But Jesus never runs out. Jesus' story never changes. He is the bread. He is the life. He, he on the great day of the feast, stood up and out. I, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. I am. Sorry about the water of life. Come and drink. In the the natural, we want to eat the sweeties. (laughs) But Jesus comes and he changes our desires. You know, there's something interesting that happens when we begin to feast on him. When we begin to eat, it might just be a crumb. (laughs) I'm reminded of, just in the moment, I'm reminded of the Syrophoenician woman who needed her daughter to be delivered. You remember the story? And she came, she was a Gentile, and she came and she asked Jesus to deliver her daughter. And Jesus said, what do I have to do with you? Get away. One of those moments that in the initial, we're like, huh, what's Jesus saying? What's happening here? And her response was a tell-all. Jesus was after what was in her, and she said, yes, but even the masters leave the crumbs for their dogs. Even if I can just have a crumb. Even if I can just have a little bit of bread. I don't have to have the whole loaf. Even if I can just have a bite. If, even if I can just have a crumb. Jesus, if you would just be merciful enough to give me just a crumb of your presence. It's enough to change me. It's enough to, to heal my daughter. It's enough to change my life. So you just, Sometimes you just got to start with a crumb. Sometimes you just got to start with a little bite and say, Jesus... I'm going to trust this little bite has enough power to change my life. Can I tell you, So every ingredient that's in the loaf is in the crumb. Everything that you mix into that big whole loaf of bread is in that little bit of a crumb. So every bit of power that you need in that moment, sometimes just in that little bit of a crumb. But if you can just eat it. It might just be a word for the day. Pastor, what are you saying? It might just be one word out of scripture for that day. It might not be a whole verse or a whole chapter. It might just be one word, creator. And you just meditate. He is the creator. He created my life. He's creating uh, darkness into light right now. He's taking what's not and making it into something. He's taking the things that aren't and creating something that is. I don't understand. And you just begin to take the crumb of that word and you begin to to meditate. Meditate on it. You begin to chew it. And the, the word meditation is actually that you you chew it, you eat it, and you regurgitate it, and you keep eating it and keep chewing it. It's like a cow eating the cud. Some of you look like you're ready to eat the cud today. You got your mask on, ready to go. <laughs> I'm just joking. You're ready to go. You're meditating on the word. You're just chewing it, eating it. It might just be a crumb. But when you start eating that crumb, it changes your life. Yeah. <laughs> worship team, why don't you all come back. Isaiah 55 says, whoa. <laughs> That's what it says. First, first word, ho. <laughs> Isaiah had the Holy Ghost working in him that that day, he wrote that. Whoa! <laughs> everyone who thirsts. <laughs> anybody thirsty? Is anybody thirsty? It says, "Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts!" It came from the depths of his being. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts! There's something deep. Deep cries out to deep, there's something longing on the inside of me. There's something, Isaiah was saying, there's something deeper here. There's something greater here than just your natural longings and your natural desires. There's a a longing, there's a desire for something more on the inside of me. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Come and eat. Come and feast. Come and dine, the master calls. Come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. Even now, (laughs) even now, even now, even now, the master's calling. The master of the banquet's calling. Even now, the one who's prepared the feast is calling out to you. I am the bread from heaven. I am the water of life. Come and drink. Come and feast. Come and drink. Come and feast. (laughs) Stand with me this morning if you can. Thank you, Jesus. The master's calling out to you, friend, whether you're in the house today or watching online. The master is calling the preparer of the feast, the chief chef. He's prepared a meal. He's calling you to come and dine at his table. Are you feasting on fear? Are you feasting on worry? Are you feasting on anxiety? Are you feasting on depression? Are you stuffing your face with the sweeties? Are you pulled up to the table of the Lord, feasting on the bread from heaven? He is the manna that came down. He is the manna for you and I. He has an eternal supply. He eternally satisfies. He eternally makes us happy, delighting, feasting on Him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus praise this morning. Come on, give Jesus praise this morning. Hallelujah. You are the bread of heaven. You are the bread of heaven. Hallelujah. We worship you Jesus. We worship you Jesus. You we- <laughs> Ooh, shake Jesus, we feast on you, Lord. We feast on you, Lord. What's the response of the preaching of the word? It is worship. It's seeing Christ. It's seeing him. Today I hope that you've seen him. What is the response of the preaching of the word?